0: welcome you to our services this morning. Pray the Lord will bless us uh, in this time of study and that he will bless those that will yet join us in the worship hour and that we will truly, as we uh, preach and teach his gospel, we will glorify and honor him uh, in every attribute of his characters, both a just God and a Savior. Re- real quickly before we begin this morning, uh, a couple of announcements. Uh, remember all those that are on the prayer list, uh, there has been, uh, if those, most of you are aware of it, there's been a great deal of change occurred in uh, Kenny and Sandra's life this last week. Not only is his father in a severe uh, life or death situation on hospice, but his mother uh, had a, uh, what did they call it? It was aortic, aortic she suffered an aortic tear uh, last Sunday afternoon. And she is now up. They, they lifted her by life flight up to um, Willis Knight North in Shreveport, and the prognosis is not good. Uh, I talked with Kenny last night, and uh, they did an EEG on her, and the EEG showed just absolutely no no brain waves. So uh, they're just just biding their time. The only thing that uh, from what Kenny told me, the only thing that is sustaining her life, which we know the reason why she's still here, the only thing that is managing her life right now is they have her on a vent tube. They have her intubated, uh, and they're breathing for her. So as the Lord directs, please keep Kenny and Sandra. They've been uh, dealing with his dad now for over a year, year, close to a year and a half. And then lo and behold, this last Sunday they uh, have a situation – with his mother, Miss Mary, so remember them as well. Lorena Villa, uh, John told me that uh, she's beginning to improve from her fourth chemotherapy session. Uh, She's beginning to get some relief from some of the uh, side effects. Sherry Tidmore, she went through her heart ablation uh, Friday and uh, did real well. Seems to be accomplished what the doctors set out to do, but continue to remember to uh, her in prayer as she recovers from this, I, Pam talked with her uh, Friday afternoon uh, after she had had the procedure to call and check on her. Uh, she watches us, I'm, I'm quite certain, unless something up, she's watching us right now from over in uh, Richardson, Fort Worth, Texas, someplace over in Texas, so, but keep her in your prayer as well. Uh, any updates on anybody else that's on the prayer list? Any additions to the prayer list? Well, it's good to have Lauren with us this morning, good to have all of you here with us today. I know it's a, it's a it's another one of those unique days uh, in religion. It's Mother's Day uh, today, and I, I always, uh, it, it's still hard for me to believe that my mother has been gone. Uh, this year will be 22 years since my mother passed away, and uh, it just seems like, uh, Jeremy and I were talking about it this week, it, it's just hard to believe. I mean, he was like 19. 19 years old, and now he's 42 years old, right? Not 43, 42. Uh, but uh, I, I, I still hear her voice. Uh, I, I, still think about her often, and I'm grateful for everything that my mother meant to me as far as the things of time and sense. Uh, but, uh, and I, I wrote wrote that little article on the back of the bulletin. You know, if, if you have your mom. Uh, while you got her, make sure uh, today, if you you can't get to her, to be with her, pick up the phone, call her. Today, we've changed so much, you can FaceTime your mother now. You don't have to just call her and talk to her over the phone. Take your phone and just hit the FaceTime button and call your mama and tell her how much you love her and appreciate her and thankful for her and for what she means to you. But uh, We're grateful for the Mothers of Grace Baptist Church. Uh, I think about our Lord's words when uh, he was teaching in the synagogue. And uh, they stood outside and said, your mother and your brothers are outside, want to talk to you. And he didn't even stop. He just continued to do what he was doing, preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And he didn't go out. But he turned to them and he looked at them and he said, who are my mothers? Who are my brothers? And then he turned to the crowd that he was preaching to, and he said, these are my mothers, and these are my brothers. And I, I was talking with all the other night when we were up here, and you know, this, this is our family, brothers and sisters in Christ. Though we all have friends and family members, moms, dads, brothers and sisters, if they believe not this gospel, they're not our, they're not our brothers. Now they, they, they're our family. They're our blood but they're not our brothers and sisters in Christ. And with that said, I am so thankful for the mothers of Grace Baptist Church, those women that have believed this gospel, rested in Christ as the Lord their righteousness, and seek by their, by their words and by their activity to promote this glorious gospel of an accomplished redemption through the Lord Jesus Christ. Anything else this morning? That's, I'll give that Mother's Day speech again in the next hour. But i appreciate you i do i'm thankful for each and every one of you and i love you with a pastor's heart and you mean a lot to me uh, you've been a support to me in the ministry here for all the years that that, that we've been here so donald if you would lead us an opening prayer Well, take your Bibles and turn to the last chapter of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 13. We have I, I can't say confidently that we've reached, we've reached the end of the study, but we've reached the last chapter in this study. Uh, it, it could take because there's just like the, the remainder of this but uh, the, 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 the previous part of this epistle, there's so much to unpack in Hebrews chapter 13. You know, we, we see so many glorious truths set forth for us, and I hope and I pray that by God's grace over the next several weeks as we finish out this book that it will force us to look uh, with God-given faith more confidently and more, with more assurance of our present abiding state in our Lord Jesus Christ. That's one of the things that you and I need more than anything else. We live in this world. We're not of this world, chosen out of this world, redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ by his very obedience unto death, but yet we have to remain in this place. And as we remain here in this present evil world, we carry with us that which we formerly, before the Lord regenerated and converted us, we had no consciences of. We did not understand, or listen, we didn't, we'll didn't. we see this as we begin this 13th chapter. Tonight, we didn't understand what good and evil was. And I know everybody says, oh, yeah, you know what good and evil is. No, we, we, we knew, we thought we knew what good and evil was. We, we thought we knew the, the difference between what God viewed as that which glorifies and honors him and what we view is what glorifies and honors God. We were taught by well-intentioned men and women from our childhood up that we need to be the best that we can be, that we need to be moral, that we need to be sincere, we need to be dedicated, we need to go to church, we need to give a tithe, you know, do all those things that, and here's the thing, where'd they get that from? Huh? Who taught them? Their mom and daddy. And go back a thousand generations, every parent somehow, some way, religiously, is instructed and guided their children in the things that they think. And that's why we we cannot, keep this in mind, remember the hole of the pit from which you digged. Uh But for the grace of God, where would we be at? We'd be in darkness. We would be in unbelief. We would still be seeking to go about to establish a righteousness of our own based on those things we had been ignorantly taught by our parents and our grandparents before us. And we would, have, we would have been, you think about it, we would have been content in where we were at because we didn't understand. You, you would have never convinced me when I was back out there preaching at Heiko Baptist Church that I was dishonoring God. Huh? If, I, I think I would physically fault somebody if they would come up to me and told me, do you realize you're an active idolater? That's why people got so angry about this message back out there years ago. Because when you make those things clear that there, listen, there is only one righteousness, just one, whereby God can be both just and justify the ungodly. And it has absolutely nothing to do with you or me or our faith or our morality or our sincerity or our religious change. It has everything to do with what? Christ the Lord, our righteousness. But now here's the thing. When the Lord reveals this truth to us and He creates in us in regeneration and conversion Christ in us the hope of glory, we do, by God's grace, seek to glorify and honor Him in our character and our conduct. Uh Huh? And I know some people say, Oh, Lord, Richard's fixing to go legal. No, I'm not going to go legal. I'm going to just tell you the truth. We we have a responsibility. First of all... I, I. I, I thought back about that message. I was looking over my notes this morning. I thought back to the message I preached last week on what think ye of Christ. And I cannot get those two verses that I, would well, not two verses, but two, two statements that our Lord Jesus Christ made to that young lawyer when he asked him, which is the great commandment? And our Lord did not hesitate but turned to that young lawyer and told him, Love God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is likened to it. Namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two, there's just not 10, not 10 plus 635. The, The ceremonial law, on these two hang the whole law. In other words, everything God demands of us is seen in his command to us, not a request, but his command to us that we must, you hear this? Now get this, if you don't get anything else right this morning, you get this right. We must, if we're going to go to glory, if we're going to be in his presence, if we're going to spend eternity with him and other just men and women made perfect, we must be as righteous and as holy as, and as pure as God Himself. You believe that? I, I tell you what, Bill Bill nailed it a couple years ago when he talked, because we, we used to go by a sliding scale. You know, just, just give it your best shot. Try to get close. Nuh-uh. Start what the scriptures tell us. When our Lord made that statement to that man, he knew exactly what our Lord was saying. He was telling him point blank, "It is your responsibility. If you think you're if you think you're going to heaven based on what you do, you must love God perfectly, twenty four hours a day, seven days a week, three hundred sixty five days a year, for however long your life lives." Spent here, whatever time you're here. Plus somehow, and this is where it gets technical, somehow you got to make that obedience to the law of God stretch to eternity past and throughout all eternity. Now you tell me how your righteousness can do that. That's what's required. And it's the same with what he told him secondly. We are to love our neighbors, which remember our Lord asked, was asked one time, Who is my neighbor? Well, who is your neighbor? It's not just you, people that like me. <laughs> Who's our neighbor? Everybody, Incl- including the person who would do the greatest harm to me. That's my neighbor. And he says, I'm not, I'm not, it's easy to love somebody that loves you. But he calls on us to, to he requ- doesn't call on us, he requires of us to love the one that hates us the most. You say, well, I can't do that. I know you can't, but that's still the requirement. For, Don't you realize, I hope hope you do, after all the years you've sat under me, I hope you realize and understand, that's what the Lord Jesus Christ did. He fulfilled the law and made it honorable. He magnified the law and made it honorable. He fooled, remember what he said, I don't think that I came to destroy the law. I didn't come to destroy it. What did I do? I come to fulfill it, for not one jot or one tittle shall pass from the law till all be fulfilled. It is. And Paul nailed it by the same Spirit that, that our Lord had, had the fullness of the Spirit. He said, it is finished. What was finished? Righteousness was established. Law of justice was perfectly satisfied. You think about that. In that moment that our precious, glorious, holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, Son of God, had fulfilled every jot and tittle of the law, the law could never require anything from me. Ever. Why? It got everything that it ever possibly could demand in that glorious person. And miraculously, by the grace of God, he did it in such a way that it's as if I myself had did it. It's, yeah, that's why our Lord said in the Sermon on Mount, except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Our righteousness does exceed theirs. Theirs was legal. It was mercenary. Ours is won by imputation. The just, and he said that over and over and over. He's enforced that through this book. The just, the justified, the righteous live one way. How by faith in what that I'm going to church this morning. On Mother's Day this morning, that I've been a good mother all my life. That I'm kind to people. That I've paid a a legal tithe of everything that I've ever... No, no. What's our hope? On a righteousness we had no part in producing or maintaining, a righteousness produced for us through the obedience unto death of the Lord Jesus Christ. But now here's the thing. Knowing that to be the case, it does not relieve us from the responsibility to love our neighbor as ourselves and to love our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Though when we've done either in any capacity, we don't look to that. <laughs> if, I, if I do love you, I do love my enemy, I don't look to that and say, well, that proves I'm saved. The only thing that proves I'm saved is what? Christ bore my sins in his body on a tree and by his stripes. I am healed. And by God-given faith, that's my hope. I've entitled this lesson. It'll be the first of a couple, I think. I've entitled this one, Let Brotherly Love Continue. Let Brotherly Love Continue. And you know, when you, when you look at chapter 13, it, like I say, it's basically the closing of this book. But it can basically be divided into two parts. The first part being an encouragement. Now, this is what's important to us this morning as we begin this study. The first part of this book, this chapter, is an encouragement to a variety of duties, responsibilities laid on each and every blood-bought, redeemed, regenerated, and converted son and daughter of the living God. And the second part of it is just basically a conclusion to the matter. Brings the book to a close. So what's the duties? People say, well, all the time, y'all don't care how men and women live. Nothing could be further from the truth. You hear me? I I get tired. I get get just absolutely tired of people. And I'd be honest with you, I've kind of embraced the label. And the problem is most people, when they use this, this big word, and it is a big word, they don't even understand what the the word means. I get tired of being branded an antinomian, which an antinomian means anti, means against what? Against the law. I'm not against the law of God. And I hope if you've sat under me or listened to me for any period of time, you know that I have no disregard for the law of God. The law of God is holy, just, perfect, good, right? It illustrates to you and I what our God requires. What he demands. The problem has never been with the law. Huh? Never. The problem has always been with what? The carnal mind is enmity. Not at enmity. The carnal mind is enmity to God. It is, listen, and keep this in mind. I was reading one of the old authors that I read this week. It amazes me that... Guys, back in the sixteen hundred and seventeen hundred, well, it shouldn't amaze me. It. It's the same spirit, same gospel. You know, I, I, people. Pam says I can't finish one thought, and I can't. <laughs> it's where you get when you get off a note. Where was I going with this? Let me think. Yeah. But these old authors in the sixteen and seventeen hundreds, they preached and believed the same thing we believe. And they talk about the fact that, that that our obedience, our morality, our sincerity does not make the difference between life or death, not once. And we should never seek to strive to, by our obedience, by our personal character and conduct, seek to establish a righteousness before the true and living God. But you think about it, our, our duties of obedience, first of all, the first one he's going to encourage us to in this Thirteenth chapter is this, love of the brethren. Love of the brethren. And it's evidence how? By hospitality and encouragement to all who abide in the doctrine of Christ. Now keep in mind what had been going on here in this place where he writes this letter to. These men and women had suffered intense persecution over the gospel, not over how they lived, not over their character and their conduct, but over the gospel they professed. You understand that, right? It's not not the way that people wear their hair or the clothing that they wear when they suffer because they're ridiculed, because they look out of character with everybody else around. That's not suffering for righteousness' sake. Suffering for righteousness' sake is what these people endured. Because they rested in Christ as the Lord their righteousness, and because they had come out of that old former Mosaic economy, out of that old Judaistic faith, and no longer participated in all those ceremonies and rituals that had been completed in Christ, which according to what the writer of Hebrews has told us throughout this book, these things that were established by God could never put away sin, were never intended to. They were always the schoolmaster to do what? To cause these people, these national Jews, to look to Christ as the Lord, their righteousness. Their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, Joseph, David, Solomon, all the major and minor prophets, their hope was where? In that word that we we know him as Christ, their hope was in Messiah, the promised seed, the anointed of God. They'd been looking for him. He had came, accomplished the work, returned to glory. These Jews are still... You, you, I mean, have you ever thought about it? These Jews are still looking for this person. They were looking for him when he's on earth. 2,000 years old, later, they're still waiting for him. But they, they had after after the veil had been rent into and the Lord had shown plainly and clearly by shaking everything that they knew, like we talked about a couple weeks ago in Hebrews chapter 12 when he shook this whole world through the person and work and death of the Lord Jesus Christ, they somehow or another put that whole system back into play, went right on doing exactly what they had done before. And now they're encouraging these people that have gone out and followed this way to do what? you got to come back over here. You don't have a tabernacle. You don't have a temple. You don't have sacrifices. You don't have a high priest. You Therefore, because they knew, I've, I've told you this for decades now, in order to worship God, three things are absolutely necessary. What's necessary? <laughs> First thing, what do you got to have? You got to have a high priest. Second thing, what have you got to have? You got to have an altar. And the third thing you got to have, what? You got to have a sacrifice. And if you're minus any of those Bart, you can't worship. That's why when when Abraham was about to carry Isaac up on that mountain, and he stopped with those three men down at the base of that mountain, he told them, he said, "Me and the lad are going up on that mountain." And what are we going to do? What did he tell him? Because that's the law of first mission. That's the first time the word worship is used in the scriptures. We're going to go up on that mountain and we're going to worship God and we're going to come back down. So that established for me, because remember, you're going up the mountain, Dad, you got the fire, I got the wood. Where's the sacrifice? You don't think that you don't think that Daddy Abraham had taught his boy, <laughs> and I tell parents take that to heart. That's your respect. Not it's my responsibility as your pastor to preach the gospel to you. It's your responsibility to train up your children in the Lord. You have no guarantee they'll believe it. Still, your responsibility. And I tell you what Abraham did not have the tools that you and I have. Today, but yet he still taught his boy in such a way that his boy understood to worship this God, this God of my father. my dad. Because, see, at that time, there was no high priest. Well, oh, there was a high priest. Who was the high priest? Under that economy that Abraham was in, the father was the high priest, the head of the household. So the high priest, when they went up on that mountain, was who? Abraham. And he got up on that mountain, and the first thing that high priest did, he didn't even have this law given. He took stones and built an altar. And I guarantee you he he didn't do anything but just stack the stones up because later under the Mosaic economy, when God gave the law, he said if you ever built an altar, whether it's an earthen altar or whether it's out of stone, what are you never to do? Don't you put one tool on it. Because if you put a tool to it, what have you done? You've defiled the altar. What's that teaching us? Christ don't need your help. He's the high priest. He's the altar. And then they get up on that mountain, and Abraham is about to offer his son in obedience to God's revealed will, and I could never explain that. I'd never preach a sermon on that about fixing to kill your own boy. But all of a sudden, what does he hear? He hears something horn caught in the thicket behind him, and it's a ram. Got his horn, the horns by miraculously, accidentally, hung up in the vines, and he goes over there and he gets that ram and he cuts his boy loose and he puts that ram in the place of his boy. What's that? Huh? A substitution. And he's got a sacrifice, and it's not his sacrifice. It's what? It's the Lord's sacrifice. The Lord sent that ram. there, And he he offers that up, and what does he do? He comes back down that mountain, and he gets his boy back from what we saw in Hebrews. He got back his boy as if he was raised from the dead. And I'm confident, I told you this when we went through that, I'm confident when Abraham went up on that mountain, he was sure in his mind he was going to kill that boy. But he was also sure that if he killed him in obedience to his God, what was God going to do? God was going to raise him from the dead. And God did raise him from the dead, didn't he? Because he was as good as dead. I can't tell you, that, the only thing, stayed. he was coming down to kill that boy. And God stayed his hand. And God said, I, I, Isaiah 42, verse 1-2, I think. I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake. Therefore will I remember thy iniquities no more. Because he did it. He did it. So these brethren had been raised under that system now they're being encouraged. What? Come back to it. You don't have a high priest. You don't have a sacrifice. You don't have an altar. Paul would tell us at the end of this chapter that we have an altar and a table to eat at. They can't come to. Why? If you approach God in any way other than through the blood and righteousness of Christ, what is it? It's idolatry. It's not worship. It's impossible. So he's encouraging these people what? Everything you have, everything you need, everything you could ever possibly want, you have it all. You have an altar. You have a sacrifice. You. you we saw, saw it last week, right, or a couple weeks ago. Well, no, it's in this chapter. We have. We've received a kingdom that cannot be moved. Might have been last week. That's not. It's in this this chapter. where <laughs> No, it. It wasn't that. Here's the second thing, sympathy and compassion with those who suffer. The third one is thankfulness and respect and but thankfulness and respect to who. He tells us in verse uh, six, I know verse seven that we're to have thankfulness and respect toward those that are God's true pastors, his under-shepherds. Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow considering the end of their conversation, the end of their behavior. It's not follow me and act like I act and you'll get what you need. We're to, you're to follow Christ as I follow Christ. How? Not outward character and conduct, but How? By faith in his blood and righteousness. That's what we promote. That's the word which we preach. The fourth thing is this, uh, duties. We have the believer's duty to remain constant and unshaken in the profession of the gospel. Notwithstanding all the suffering and reproach to which these compromising stance might bring them into. See, here's the thing. He's already warned them. If you go back, you go back what? It's not, don't get me wrong now, and I don't want you to think it's not the one that finishes the race that gets the prize. We run the race, but how do we run the race? We run the race with patience, looking unto Jesus, the author and completer, and it has of our faith, but ours in italic, he's the author and finisher of what? Of faith. Of everything necessary for you and I as God's children. And... You know, we, we can't go back. I t- if you believe this gospel, you don't know. It's not, that, not, not one that was redeemed by the blood and righteousness of Christ will ever leave this gospel. I've seen men and women come, and I've seen men and women go, but I've never seen one of God's elect go, and I never will. I never will. You, you can't take it away. We do do everything in our power at times to destroy ourselves spiritually. But thank God, what has he done? He hedges up the way. He will not let us go. He's a faithful God who is merciful and gracious and delights to show mercy. I'm so thankful for that verse in Lamentations. It is of the Lord's mercy we are not concerned how many times you lean on that during your life? It's the Lord's mercy I'm not concerned. He, thank God. His compassions, not compassion, his compassions never fail. They're fresh every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Not mine. He is. And I tell you, when, when it comes to, to preaching and teaching about obedience, and I, I you know it, to me it's a careful line, and you have to be very careful when you talk about obedience because the natural mind always has a tendency to misrepresent and misinterpret when you talk about obedience, and they begin to become we begin to we, we see in our own nature that that's in us from our father Adam, we become fruit inspectors. We start looking inward. We start looking for something that proves to us that we're saved. And we're never to do that. I mean, think about what he said in Philippians 3. Forgetting those things which are behind. Well, what's behind? Everything's behind. Everything that we've done this morning, it's behind. We're to press toward the mark of the high calling of God, which is where? In Christ Jesus our Lord. And when it comes to preaching and teaching on duties of obedience, oh John Owen, he wrote this in his commentary. He said it is of it is to no purpose to deal with men and women about duties of obedience before they are well fixed in the fundamental principles of the faith. My dear brother Bill Parker. He stated it this way years ago. I think for one of the first times I ever heard him say it, we were still back out at the old little building in in Dubai. He said, the justified saint has for his or her starting place what the self-righteous religionist has for his or her goal. Everybody out there in religion today, what are they seeking to do? They're seeking to establish a righteous. That's their goal. They want to get to heaven. And to their natural mind, they know it's better to do good than to do evil. And so promoted by that natural conscience conviction, what do they do? They start trying to produce good. That's their goal. We start out where? What do you this morning? As you sit here in Ruston, Louisiana, in Grace Baptist Church, you believe this gospel, How does God view you right now? As you sit here and you think, Well, Pastor, I you just don't know my heart. Yeah, I know I know your heart because I know my own heart. Huh? And it's it's not a pretty sight. And I don't say that flippantly. The worst thing I deal with barts me. Huh? And he am prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. And I, the only reason I don't leave is what? He will not let me go. He will never leave me nor forsake me. How do we start? We start the very righteousness of God. Huh? We're not trying to get righteous. We are righteous. How righteous? William Gatsby said it best we must have a righteousness in which God himself cannot find one flaw. And we have it. We have it one place. We have it in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, before God the Holy Spirit gives or bestows the gift of faith on a sinner, in regeneration and conversion, you know what all our obedience was? Everything that we ever did, religiously. Marley, sincerely, with great effort. What was it? According to the Scripture, fruit unto death. Listen to you. For when we were in the flesh, now listen to the language, for when we were in the flesh. Hold it. If, we, if he's saying when we were in the flesh, I thought we are still in the flesh. Uh-huh. Again, we did not know this until we were taught by God, the Holy Spirit, regeneration, conversion. To be in the flesh is to be what? Huh? To be lost in a state of unbelief, in a state of unregeneracy. When we were in the flesh, the motions of sin, listen to this, the motions of sin which were by the law, Did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. Who wrote that? The Apostle Paul. And what was he, what was he before when he was, remember when he was Saul of Tarsus, what was he seeking to do? Keep the law. And he said, the motions of sin which were by the The law, and I know I've said this before, the law can only tell you what to do. You do realize that, right? but it can't give you the power to keep any of it. The law has no life-giving principle in it. Everything about the law, what is it? The wages of sin, death. The law shows us the impossibility of any sinner going to heaven based on that sinner's character and conduct, no matter how they seek to achieve that obedience by whatever aid or agency. That's all it does. And it turns around and it can only condemn when it finds the least of sin in the best of men or women. Before we were given the gift of faith by God the Holy Spirit, you think about this, we were unable to discern between good and evil. Because you think about this, hearing this in verse 1, he tells us, let brotherly love continue. That's, that's a command. But then he turns around. He, he, what? By let brotherly love continue, and he's going to define it for us a little bit on further down. Brotherly love means what do we do? We open our homes to people. Take them, take our whoever our brothers are. We open our home up and take them into our home. We fellowship for with them. We care for them. We're at one with Him in heart, mind, and soul concerning this glorious truth. But over in John, Second John, verse nine through eleven, he tells us that if any man, listen to this, and, and, see, and like say you think, well, what, how do we do this? Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not the doctrine in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ he hath both the Father and the Son. Now remember what he said: Let brotherly love continue. John says, if there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, who any come to you and don't bring this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him God speed. For he that biddeth him Godspeed, speed, what is he? He is a partaker of that person's evil deed. What's their evil deed? Here it is. They do not abide in the doctrine of Christ. We didn't know that by nature. Our Lord made that clear when he talked with with Nicodemus in John chapter 3. He said, this is a condemnation that light is coming to the world and men love darkness more than light. And they will not come to the light lest their deeds be what? Be reproved context 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 who's he talking to Nicodemus what did he already told this man Nicodemus who was a Pharisee told him twice you must be born again if you're not born again you can't see the kingdom you can't enter the kingdom and so he tells this man who is still standing there Nicodemus he tells this man that light is coming to the world where's light standing there talking to Nicodemus And those Pharisees wouldn't come to Christ because if they came to Christ, just like Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus when he met our Lord Jesus Christ, what do they have to do? What can they not do by nature? They cannot turn their back on everything they love by nature. It's impossible, you and I included. Before justifying faith, we can't properly identify and distinguish one from the other. We don't know good or evil. In fact, before justifying faith, we ourselves, we don't even abide in the doctrine of Christ. We thought we did. Now, John wasn't telling you and me by his words that I just read to you in 2 John verse 9-11 through that we're to be mean to anybody. Nor is he telling you and me that we need to forsake our friends and our family, our loved ones our neighbors, what he's telling us is what can we never do as justified saints. We cannot encourage them, and we cannot support them in our idolatry. Well, that's that's something to think about, isn't it? Now look at verse, verse 1 real quick, and we'll close with this this morning. Let brotherly love continue. Pretty simple. What's brotherly love? This is that religious brotherhood of those adopted into God's family who have the same father. We've told all our life, what are we all? makes no difference what is all men and women without exception. Yeah, I I saw, saw, I don't know what kind of priest he was. I know he was a pagan. I know this much. He was a pagan priest and he was standing up, and he was talking about, he, he had on, this gives you an idea if you ever, number one, if if it's a priest, you know what it is, but when they're sitting there and they got a a, a rainbow-colored, where the little collar thing here is a rainbow-colored collar on, you know it's fixing to go south already now. But he was talking about, and he said, listen, this guy said that I tried to take the Scriptures, and he was saying that everybody that is against those that are trans, Gender, I, which I never heard that. You go back ten years. Did you ever even heard of transgender ten years ago? But if you're if you're against transgender, that you need to repent of the sin of transgenderism. And he said, even our Lord Jesus Christ said that there were some who would make themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of God, and he tried to say that them cutting off their genitalia to become eunuchs was our Lord okaying and approving and saying that that's a a righteous way that these transgender people are trying to go. Now you think about it. Is that dude my brother? But then I thought about this. We get all wound up about that, don't we? But what about those that are religious and moral and kind and sincere? doing their dead-level best to avoid every known sin, doing their dead-level best to do every possible good. How's God view that? If you think you can produce a righteousness, or you think you have produced a righteousness, you know you're just as guilty and just as vile before this God as those people that religious people like to talk so negatively about. You think about it, the worst sin—the worst sin we can ever commit—is thinking that somehow, or another, we can get to heaven by something we do. Because there's no drunk, or murderer, or liar, or adulterer, or anybody else. I've never seen, never had one person tell me that they think they're being a murderer, or a liar, or a homosexual, or a thief, or whatever kind of ungodly that that can recommend them to God. But I've seen a boatload of folks thinking, being moral, kind, sincere, dedicated, going to church, giving you money, being kind, being compassionate, that'll get you into heaven. No, it won't. Not by works of righteousness, which we've done. So what are we talking about? We're talking about brotherly love, to those that are brothers and sisters in Christ. And see, this brotherhood is marked by by grace of love. We know, John said, and we'll quit with this, we know we've passed from death into life, how? How do you know this morning? We love who? We love the brethren, not the world. Because he told us he, there's a distinction. Because he said in that same book, 1 John chapter 2, before he said, Love not the world, neither the things that are of the world. For everything that's in the world, lust, flesh, lust, eyes, pride, life, whatever. the other world. And what's happening with the world? It's all passing away. But then he tells us, we know we've passed from life unto death because we love who? Not the world, but those brethren. Those that have rested in Christ is the Lord, their righteousness. We'll stop right there and we'll come back. We'll pick up in verse 2 next Sunday. I appreciate your presence. You're dismissed the worship hour.